at Mazda for many years, Mazda Motorsports. He's now over at IMSA. Yeah. He's a big cheese over there. He's I one hope, of the I hope people I've ever met. Seriously, intro the intro the show, John, or we're gonna miss everything. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, talk. <laughs> we, we got on here and we're just chatting away, and uh, somebody goes, "Oh, we need to hit record," and I'm going, "It's not that we meant to record; we forgot to. We just got carried away." Uh, you have uh, Sean and John tonight, and uh, we're got, uh, we're pl- pleased or honored to have uh, Randy Popest with us uh, to chat about whatever Randy wants to. Uh, I met him ironically four or five years ago in conjunction with the barber vintage vintage fest and historic motorcycles and i never put that together but i knew the name instantly from back in my youth and in the 80s and uh imsa racing and randy and such and even said some things to some friends i go do do you know is randy involved in motorcycles and that is this really the same guy and we've become friends um since i've left barbers you know we didn't see each other last year but i think you know i've been able to reach out to him and he's responded very well we've had some hiccups uh get into this show and interview uh sean will probably dominate being sean's the racer of the group i I don't even apologize for that i'm not going to apologize for that we want to we want to take some a little time to let randy kind of say if you can we, we did this with uh jim simpson a couple of weeks ago in an episode and said give us about a two minute synopsis and 18 minutes later we were finishing up but if you can give us <laughs> c- condense your career is so that people have an idea of you who you are uh i know you, you know you do driving instruction you do racing you do off-road motorcycles you're into some really odd cars when it comes down to it uh you've I think you're recently are relaunching your YouTube channel and doing some YouTube presence and you're staying busy through, you know, again, we're recording this in the middle midst of the coronavirus. If you're listening to this in a few years, but uh, get, give us that two minute synopsis. And then I think Sean's just going to go with it. We'll see where it goes and where I can interject. It'll be a show without hey, John for a change. John, you did a great job. <laughs> um, my work here is through. I want to say thanks. You helped me out at Barber uh, a couple of times, getting me in a good spot and things. I really appreciate that. And my career has been driving fast and racing cars. When I was 19 years old, I started out autocrossing, won uh, six national championships. And then I went to road racing, running my own little team. And I started out in uh, fire. Stone Firehawk Racing and Volkswagen Cup and IMSA Pro Stock and all these. I ran little cars. Uh, P.D. Cunningham calls them PP cars <laughs> for many years. And then through some lucky breaks, uh, Kevin Buckler got me my first ride in a GT Porsche. Alex Job Racing was a tremendous boost to my career. TPC Racing, these were all Porsches in the 2000s. We won the Rolex 24 in the GT class twice. Uh, and from then I got into uh, World Challenge. And over the years, I'm most proud of my factory contracts. I had a factory driving contract with Porsche, then with Audi, then with Mazda, then with Volvo, and then with Mazda again. And it, I'm going to throw this out. There are a lot of guys who, who call themselves pro drivers because they've driven in a pro race. 
That, folks, is not a pro driver. A pro driver is someone who is paid to race and even more specifically makes the majority of their income from being paid to race cars. And these days, even pro drivers, even the top guys are as much sponsorship salesmen as they are drivers. And that sort of, it's always been true, but it grew more during my career from the 90s, 2000s. So all this racing turned into later in, in my driving career when the pro driving slowed down, I had built a relationship with Motor Trend Magazine that has been fantastic. I'm their track tester. I uh, write road tests and articles for them and I do a lot of video. And video and all that Motor Trend testing has actually made me way more famous than road racing ever did. <laughs> and it's great. I mean, I run into people that that know me everywhere. The, the kid at uh, my favorite Chinese restaurant, uh, pilot when I'm walking off the airplane, um, auto parts stores, very common. Anybody who watch it, typically I know they watch Motor Trend videos or they're on video a lot and then they see me and I do all these hot laps and um, I even got hired by Porsche to do a hot lap in the GT2 RS last fall. And I do a lot of independent consulting for different manufacturers, mostly on handling and chassis dynamics. I'm in the unique position of having driven at track speed an incredible number and variety of cars. But really, I'm a bike guy. <laughs> but I've always been passionate about motorcycles since I was on a mini bike at 12 years old. Wow. So that, that goes, you know, cars, bikes, wheels, engines, corners. I like the corners. That's my it's career. Really similar, actually scary background between you and I. I started riding bikes when I was four. Um, wow. Yeah, I had an Indian 50 when I was four years old. <gasps> and, uh, I know that bike. It was a cool little bike, man. I, I would, I'd like to have one of those hanging on my wall right now. Do um, it. Had a little Indian 50 and uh, just started with motocross, got into carts, uh, autocross, still autocross, um, won some national national events, never run, won a national championship, but I've never had a chance to get to a national championship. I've only, I've only done one uh, national championship event and we did something really stupid. We, we showed up. I've been running V710s all year long. On the mini, I uh, had a uh, H stock Mini Cooper, and uh, been running V seven tens and loved the side slip that they gave for that car. Like it, it didn't kill momentum. You could literally just you could wheel the thing through a corner and it would side slip enough without bogging the car. And we showed up in Nebraska on Hoosiers, and oh. literally like the first time I turned in, I went like this, and the car just nosed over and whoa. it brought it just turn in. It was a level of grip that I was like, what? <laughs> I was not ready for it. But that and then road racing. And, and uh, I instructed for PSDS for several years. And um, Wait, what's PFDS? Uh, Porsche Sport Driving School. Oh, okay. Barber. Yeah. yeah. Um, and went to SRT. And it's just a very similar background, man. It's, it's so cool to have you because I have followed um, – I followed where you came from. You know, I followed you through autocross. I was autocrossing when you were autocrossing and um, you know, the showroom stock championships that you've you won. You don't look old enough, John. <laughs> I'm, I'll be 50 in August. 
Young man. Young I'll man. be 50 in August. I'll, I'm, I feel like I'm getting up there. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, I started autocrossing in 86. So it's, it's not two days ago. And you, you ran, did you run GTI cup or, v, or was it the VW cup? It was Volkswagen cup okay. in 1985, which is the first year for the VW golf. Okay. So they had a killer deal. They would sell you a car really cheap. It was a no title dollar car. And, um, that was how I was able to start racing was yeah. the deal was so good and it was doable. And I had all this autocross experience and I wanted desperately to road race. And I had saved all my money for the first two years out of college, working a, a little program on the road called the national collegiate driving championships for Dodge. Okay. And that little nest egg started me racing thanks to Volkswagen cup and being able to run that same car over an IMSA Pro Stock at the same time. And, and you were was being restored right now by Sterling Auto Works in oh, wow. Denver. That's cool. Guy's famous for the Frobel. He's so young man, energetic. I love him. Very positive. Very cool. He rings a bell at the Pikes Peak start line. Go, woo, come on, everybody. Get wound up. Let's go. He's crazy, but he's great. I, well, crazy's fine. Crazy's fine. I, and, and to restore you know, cars like that, that's you have to be a little bit crazy to, to, to be doing that. Well, um, he's not going crazy. This is not a museum piece. No way. Still, it could be. Is he going to track it? Need up your golf. Is he? I mean, track race it. This car. Hell yes. <laughs> do do that definitely. Um, all cars should be raced. I don't care if it's a minivan. It should be raced. Um, it, it's. I do. I do want to touch on your transition from autocross to road racing, because we have so many people who. They're either on like one side or they're in one camp or the other. And, and we don't see a ton of crossover, but then there are folks like you, um, Peter, uh, oh God, what's Peter Cunningham? Peter Cunningham. Yeah. He was, he was a hell of an autocrosser. He was. Um, recently we can go with Tom O'Gorman. Yep. Tom has won everything. And the, the young man, everything that Tom gets in, I don't understand. He, he's an alien. He's not from this world. Yes. Um, but it's the, what I've seen over the years is it seems like very proficient autocrossers can make the transition from autocross to road racing in a very meaningful way and, and do tend to do. Oh, we have Sean locked up there. I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> yeah, but I can pick it right up from there. Okay. And Sean comes back and that, the difference between autocross and road racing comes down to one fundamental risk. In autocross, normally, the vast majority of the time, you're not putting your car or even yourself at risk. In road racing, you are. And a lot of people are not comfortable with that. And that's part of the reason why a lot of really great autocrossers choose to never go road racing. You, the risk to your car, and the cost, and you you run so much longer, you wear everything out much faster. And there are some people that just choose not to do that. Me, having grown up in autocross, I have great respect for that sport. That is pure driving. And in road racing, they always look down on it, right? But, but also because if they ever try it, they're terrible at it. <laughs> it road racers make terrible autocrossers. Well, I... I want to say when I first got to Barber's and I was there and I was hanging out with uh, 
a lot of the Porsche Club people and their track days and times that they arrived. And a lot of their instructors supported, or at that time, I'm not sure how, how our local PCA is now, supported autocross and that you should autocross for a little bit of time. And it's learning car control. And that translates to the track. And yeah, I can see, you know, you can autocross for, you know, 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks a year and probably, you know, probably still afford to go out to eat on that budget where when you jump into the track you're worried about somebody coming along and taking you out and then you know if you have too nice of a car or too good of a car you worry about some guy in some ratty old thing who doesn't know what he's doing taking you out so I understand the budget thing but I, I've always been a believer in that you should start autocrossing I think a lot of the teen drivers you know, at 16, 17, and 18, should go do a couple autocrosses, even if they don't enjoy racing. And it's not teaching them to race; it's teaching them the car control. And that's what I always got out of autocross. I only, I only did it for a short period of time. Really didn't do a lot because, again, I like to win, and I don't make enough money to win. I've said that many times on this. So, but yeah, I've seen. I, I kind of agree with you that you know. The, the road racers are afraid to go back because the car controls required so much in autocross and uh, autocross, I think is required to, to really go effectively be a road racer as you've kind of proven. I'm sorry. Okay. I dropped out on you guys. Oh yeah. You back Sean. Yeah. I apologize. I don't know what happened. It's, that was a, I'll, I'll blame spectrum for that. Um, I think your answer was probably in line with where I'm thinking, but I, I, I think you said something <laughs> along the lines of, Autocross equals car control and road racing. Obviously, you need the car control, but it doesn't necessarily translate backwards. Uh, is, is that well, kind I'm of about the risk, Sean? Okay, but that's a big difference. In, oh, in huge! Autocross, you're probably not going to ever destroy your car. In road racing, every time you leave pit lane, you got to be willing to accept that thing might not come back. Right. And right. and be 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 able to afford it. And what's interesting in comparison to the two, autocross, even though you're driving, your speed on the speedometer is much, much slower. Your inputs are much, much faster. Mm. It's much more aggressive. Things you happen in the car so much faster. Left, right, left, yeah. right. And road racers used to hum, <laughs> right? Right. And road racers just not ready for that kind of intensity. Yeah, it's 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 a handling and 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 driving thing versus a racecraft thing, and you know that that's that's one thing over the years. And I, I used to write seat instruct for various organizations. I did it for a long time, and trying to get someone coming from the autocross world, getting out on track for the first time, getting into that uh, traffic situation for the first time, and trying to just keep them calm enough to start understanding the situational awareness needed to know where things are are coming up from the left and the right and racecraft is just a whole other thing you know it's 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 pretty amazing to watch someone develop that though and being a part of watching people develop that is is just an epic experience how much coaching have you done over the years or is uh, have you been pretty much i'm just i'm racing the car man i have been by far a racing driver. Okay. I'm, I actually don't consider myself that great a coach. Uh, I do have some advantages in that I know a lot uh, too. 
I have this bad tendency to get a little frustrated with my clients if they're doing things that seem perfectly obvious to me. Right. And I've got, you know, when you're going to coach, you got to take yourself back and see it through your the eyes of somebody doing it yeah. for the first time. Yeah. But I'm passionate about it. And I uh, all last year, I was coaching a young woman, Sarah Edge. And that's a whole other story. But she actually died in a car crash on the street oh not God. long ago. Tragic. But until that point, such a wonderful experience with that that young woman and i was i was tough with her when it was important right and that oftentimes was if she would make the same mistake two or maybe three times same mistake and it was important i'd go pit right and, and she would but i'm like pit we got to talk about this and she hated that because she hated losing the track time this young lady was passionate about driving but some things are important and I really nail that. But also as a coach, I'm very, very fundamental. I'm a basics, fundamental guy, no magic, no formulas, no, just where are you looking? Get your eyes up. Right. <laughs> look, look where you want the car. Look to where you want to go. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and also I'm all about um, not so much trail breaking as a slow break release and a gentle initial throttle application. And when I was riding with Sarah, she learned that so well, and it made her fast way beyond her experience because she learned that so well. And we'd come into a corner, she'd roll off that brake, turn the car and hit that throttle so lightly, I couldn't feel it. That's the secret of a good driver. Yeah. When they applied the throttle, if there's a passenger, they couldn't feel it. And then roll it on. What? You Did know, the you... old Jackie Stewart line, the throttle should only go more. Right. Once you get on it, it should only go either stop or more. It should never go on and off. And I don't care how Ayrton Senna drove the NSX in that video 25 years ago. It Just because he drove it and just because it was fast doesn't make it right. Like, I, I have some friends who... They literally, they're fast. They're incredibly fast, but they light switch the throttle. They, they go to 50% more brake pressure than they need. And, you know, in the initial application of braking zones, they, they're just swatting flies. They're fast, but they're not right. Right. Well, there's a big difference between being able to be fast and being able to turn a quick lap and to be able to win the race or be fast for a right. long time, right? Right. A lot of guys can turn a fast lap and they're driving like you described. Also, and their tires are going immediately. Tires. Right. Yeah. One of the primary jobs of a race driver is taking care of his tires because you win the race. Do you win the race on the start, on the first lap? It depends on what series you're in, and and you know, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you win the race when the checkered comes out on yeah. the last lap, and the guy that wins is the guy that kept tires under the car and is still strong on those last two or three laps. Going back to instruction real quick, and I know you said you haven't done a ton of it, but you have done some of it. And the young lady I that you were, I have over, the, over thirty years. I have done a lot. Right. Do you find it? I have I have my own opinion on this. Do you find it easier to coach men or women? Oh, women. There you go. <laughs> Men are, are can be very difficult, especially 
um, wealthy, successful entrepreneurs because mm. they have been making good decisions their whole life. They got this. And that's exactly what I say all the time. Guess what? They also don't want to hear that they're already good, even though they hired you at great expense to coach them. Right. This is a great generalization, but it is so true sometimes. And I don't want to coach in that situation either. Well, we all know if you spend a quarter million dollars on a GT3 RS or a GT2 RS, it comes with that racing knowledge. Yeah, you so bought you bought hard. talent at that point. Yeah, <laughs> you actually can purchase the talent. No. Hey, no. man, in today's world, that's kind of true, right? If you it's leave all the driving aids so on, if you leave all the driving aids on, sure. I mean, Porsche Stability Management and, and just some of the other TC systems that are out there, I just – we have a friend who uh, has a 720S. That mm. car with driving aids on is just, it's stuck to the earth by the hand of God. Mm. Uh, it's actually right before the interview, I was watching your ignition, um, your ignition oh, episode with the 720. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh my God, that car, that car. Remember what I said? Or specifically, here's what I said. M the McLarens are highly electronically controlled cars. Yes. On the MP412C, which I really didn't like in that way, highly electronically controlled. I got out of that car and I asked the McLaren representative, I said, is everything off? And he said, yeah, it's off. As off as it can be. <laughs> right. right. I said, because I don't feel like I'm the guy driving half the time. Yeah. But the 720S, the stability controls have gotten steadily better at McLaren, better and better. You can and rotate the hell out of that. Yes. And we turned everything off, or we tried to turn everything off, all the stability controls, drove the car, my favorite McLaren, loved it in many ways. And yet, if there was, I think stability control was working, and I just couldn't even tell. It, PASM has gotten so like that off. too. I, PASM mm -hmm. on the Porsches is, is the same way. Like, I, I am blown away by, I, I you know not necessarily even supercar level because I don't I don't consider uh, a 911 S that's not a supercar in my opinion it it performs like one but it's still not quite in that rarefied air and but the stability management system is so good that you can actually leave it on and get as much lap time out as out of it as you turned them off or do, do you find that because you I've driven a lot of cars I've been very fortunate you have been more more fortunate than I have. Do you find the same that you can actually leave it on and it doesn't really get in your way as long as you're doing everything correctly? You know, if you're, if you're being smooth on the controls and rolling into the throttle, like you were saying smoothly and not moving weight front to back in the car erratically, it just doesn't seem to get in the way on, on a lot of cars nowadays. That is a great question, Sean. And it's one that I've dealt with many times because I only get a few laps to do these hot laps. Right. I, I don't get to practice much. Most times I get zero. I get in the car, go out on the out lap. And here's what it comes down to. In 99% of the cars, 97% of the cars, I'm faster with stability controls off, all the way off. And... Um, that's changing a little bit because they're getting That's, better yeah. every year. There you go. And two, when a car is really bad handling, I'm faster with it on. Good example, I'm gonna pick on a car, Corvette C7 Z06. 
Very difficult car to drive fast with the stability controls off, primarily because it does not put power down very well at all in second and third gear. And it has a lot of power. So when you tip in that throttle, it's very easy to get a snap oversteer. Right. And it makes it very difficult to turn a good lap in the car without a whole lot of practice. It's very spinnable. Uh, in fact, I don't know if Andy Pilgrim is still working for Chevy. He probably is. Yeah. Andy is a great guy. He's so hooked up. And when I first drove the C7 Z06, which would have been 2012, 11? When did that come out? It's got to be. Yeah, it's that Something like that. Yeah. Um, Andy was there. I was there as a journalist. And Andy and I were actually racing in World Challenge against each other. He was with Cadillac, and I was in that car behind you, the Capex Volvo. And Andy says, yeah, the car's great. Um, leave the stability control on, on the full race setting. That, that'll be best for you. And I'm going, wow, Andy Pilgrim leaves the stability control on. <laughs> it's in the least invasive setting. But in 2012, that was still pretty darn invasive. Yeah. And it was because it was so much easier to get that power down in second and third gear in the slow corners. And the C7 stayed that way its whole life. And um, this is kind of a whole new subject, but I'm going to step into the C8 the C8 is the opposite. The C8 puts down power like nobody's business in second and third gear. It's just really, really good at that. All that weight moved to the back. It, it, it has no choice. I mean, it, and they're making how, it work. How's the balance? I, I, I've sat in a couple. I haven't had a chance to, to drive one properly yet. It, do, you, do you love it? The, I've driven the Z51 yeah. uh, a fair amount. This is the newest Corvette that just came out. I guess it's a 2020 model, right, Sean? Yeah. And uh, every, the world has been waiting for this car. I don't think I've driven a non-Z51 actually, but it's not, it's not complete. It, but it's a far superior car to the C7, both in terms of quality from the minute you open the door yeah, and get in the car. Definitely. Um, and the way it puts the power down so well at low revs, I'm all about power down. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a very, very important part of a car's performance. If you can't use track. the power, why have more? Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. And but the characteristics of the Corvette, the new Corvette C8 showed me one, it has dropped all oversteer. This is with everything off. I turn everything off. When when you enter when I enter a corner hard, off throttle, and I do that slow brake release, which is almost like a little bit of a trail brake. Mm -hmm. Pow, sideways. Really? Definitely. Yes. Even with, with the 50-50, even with the weight balance. Wow. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It has entry oversteer, snap entry oversteer. Then you go to a little bit of power. Instantly, the rear hooks up if you're not too sideways. But the rear hooks up, and in steady state, it understeers strongly. Strong understeer, steady state, mid-corner, in a slower corner. And the reason, what I think is going on there is... I believe that the Chevy team is trying to fix this entry oversteer with the springs and sway bars, but they don't come into effect until later in the corner. Yeah. And I encourage the uh, chief engineer whose name escapes me, uh, who was forced to ride with me, by the way, on my hot laps. That was Chevy's rule. You, I said, I don't want your job, buddy. <laughs> but anyway, he was riding with me. And I said, 
use the e-diff. They have this amazing e-diff that can be programmed. And so you could use a trick that Porsche figured out many, many years ago to tame that rear engine, hook up the differential real, real strong in the entry zone. That's why Porsche differentials have ramps, off throttle or on throttle. Yeah. Off throttle, a Porsche differential hooks up strong and that helps keep that tail from coming out because the rear wheels don't want to turn when they're hooked up. It's like driving a car with a locker. Yeah. But when the car already wants to turn like a rear engine or a mid engine, you can use this to make it controllable. And when I told the uh, Chevy engineer, the car had entry oversteer, turn in entry oversteer off throttle. He, he um, looked at me quizzically and thought for a moment, he goes, Randy, I have never heard that from one of our test drivers. And I said, they're well, not driving them hard enough. <laughs> that's because your test drivers are driving the same car every day for right. hours. And they that's have true too. Driver, they're driving around it. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing that happened to the C7. These guys got good at that snap oversteer or they would leave the stability on. So the answer is the Corvette has tremendous potential yet to be realized. And it's off to a great start. The C8 is a far better car than a C7. It's in beautiful. It, it, it's gorgeous, number one. And then, I mean, with the yeah. base car, 0 to 60 and 2.8 in the base car, I don't need a Z06. Like, I, here's something that we'd love to get your opinion on. And I know John wants your opinion on this, too. Is the C8 going to do what all other Corvettes have done since the C4 in three or four years? Are we going to be able to pick up a C8? In effect, a mass-produced pseudo supercar. Are we going to be able to pick up one for forty grand in two or three years? I, it's a it's a mass-produced car, right? Like they're going to build all of them. They're going to build as many as they can. Probably, but what's different is the quality is so high on the C8, and the price is so low. It seems like such a great value. Don't talk it up, Randy. I want one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, sorry. I, I don't, don't think they'll depreciate until the Z06 gets here in what 21 and the ZR1 in 22 or 23. But what they've done is you've you've talked some about this, and I know you know the 2020 production's over. They're retooling for 2021 when everybody can go back to work, and Megride has uh -huh. become a is now standard on the car as opposed to being an option. And do you does that will that Meg ride help with what you're addressing, or will is that kind of just a sales thing? And I also wanted to go back. We had Andy Pilgrim on on episode 65, and he's still oh, with he's still with GM, still doing a lot of Corvette testing and things. So just to update you on where he was and to plug a previous episode with a, another pretty decent driver. So Andy is a great guy. He does everything right. He's such a gentleman. I have the greatest respect for him. He does that uh, really big into that teen driving safety, and that's part of Derek oh, and I on this show, uh, a big thing. And no texting. Yep. No. He, he does lectures on it he, for years. It's not a bad place to be. It's it's not a it's that's a good message to get out there. It drives me crazy. That's what I mean about Andy. He does everything right. Right. He just he does stuff like that. I'm like, I I can't even get the garbage taken out. And you're you've got this whole program going, and you have a company, and you're a pro racer. I don't know. He's one of those guys. 
That's I think a you're doing for humans. I think you're doing okay, Randy. I, I, I think <laughs> I think you're doing. You've, you've kind of figured it out. You're you're doing all right. Now that Andy's I, on the table, let me tell you about how he raced. Andy was a thinking racer, and what impressed me was the way he would pass cars late in a race. He took care of his car. He followed that theory that I was just talking about, where you win the race at the end, not the beginning. And he he could identify a place and then surprise what, me and others with it. You'd think you'd had him, but he knew. He said, in turn three, I can break better that guy. I'm not going to give him any clue. Pull out, boom, and you're dead. He's got yeah. you. Took you clean, through, and it's like, Wow, nice job, Andy. <laughs> Even though you just beat me bad. Nice job. I saw him do that again and again uh, to me and others. That's the mark of a really great driver. Thinking driver, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, being able to set that pass up 10 laps in advance and know when you're, you're going to have the tires and whoever you're trying to set up doesn't have the tire anymore just is getting fatigued or whatever. It's, it's amazing to watch folks that can get out there, especially in endurance racing. You know, you're out there for two and a half, three and a half hours a stint. And uh, at the end of that stint to still have the presence of mind to be able to, to do that is fairly epic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's more than fairly epic. It is so much respect. Yeah. Tons. I'm seeing, a lot of passes these days are the result of just punting the guy ahead of you out of the way. And that just ruins the entire sport for me. All right. Let's, I'm going to throw this question out. This is, this is across all genres of, of automobile. Um, I don't care whether it's a race car or a street car or whatever. Um, typically those of us that have had the, the privilege to drive, many, many cars. We have one that stands out and we kind of compare uh, everything else that we drive to this one vehicle. Do you have one or do you have a handful that you could bring up and the reasons why those they stand out for you? Well, that is so hard, Sean. I know. I know. I, I know. It's what? the one. Some, some come up for me. Okay. Uh, get this. One of the best handling cars I ever drove. So perfectly intuitive, so easy to control, and absolutely flat out was an E30 M3 with Turner suspension, uh, Turner Motorsport suspension on all season tires. It was unbelievable. And um, then in terms of race cars, I love the 993 RSR in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. This is what I drove with Alex Job Racing when I first got opportunities in GT racing. The 993 was such a sweetheart and uh, it had ABS. I actually like ABS because it's easier. Um, you're really more of a driver if you're good without ABS. And another car that has impressed me tremendously even though I don't consider myself a Porsche file, is the GT2 RS. Okay. I'm hired by Porsche to do that hot lap, like I bragged about earlier. Mm -hmm. And I had already driven it in Motor Trend's best driver's car. So on, on track, we felt that car was too stiff. But 
not on track, I'm sorry, on the road. And that's the only reason it didn't make best driver's car. Because when I drove it on track, I, I couldn't believe how good it was. Magic. How it handled the way Porsches should handle. And I'm, I got a real soapbox here that I have for many, many, I've raced a lot of Porsches since the late 90s. And I always felt like the closer you got to Porsche Motorsport, the worse the cars handled. That the best handling Porsches were the plain old stock ones. And until this current model of RS, and I have become very good friends with a Porsche PR guy by the name of Frank Wiesman. And Frank works in the Atlanta office and he's at every Motor Trend uh, t car test and Porsche is a big supporter of that. And Frank had told me, he said, you know what? You're gonna like this RS. And I said, really? I don't know, they've always been kind of twitchy for me. And here's my theory for what's going on there. When you get over to motorsport, who are their test drivers? Well, it's the race car drivers. Yeah. It's these fantastic, incredibly talented drivers, often young, except for the guys that have been there a while, who started out karting for eight or 10 years. And go-karts have a solid axle. And I heard you say you karted, Sean. I did a little bit. Yeah. You'll understand this. They have a solid axle. If you drive them smooth with a nice trail brake, they just go straight, yeah. right? Yeah, you twitch them in and you, you put the inside. In. Yeah. You got to twitch them in, get that rear end out, slide in a little bit, get the inside tire unloaded. Well, you grow up doing that. You're an incredibly talented driver. You go over to drive a Porsche. Well, how are you going to want it to handle the same way and that's how they are they're twitchy i'm the weird guy i'm i'm slow and fast out man and i've always been that guy i just like <laughs> i hope i'm better than average because people yeah i just that's that's all i aspire to i don't well, i aspire to be more than that but still um right. it's cool to hear it's cool to hear your perspective on it and the one car that i that i always go back to is also a Porsche and I'd like your feelings on this too I literally when I was at the sport driving school I mind melded with the Cayman R I that car to me it's not a spectacularly it's 330 horsepower it's not crazy powerful but it's perfect for that car it's the right amount of power for that car and I would rather have a chassis and motor balance to each other than just, you know, I've got 2,700 horsepower. I can't put any of the power down, but you know, it goes back to the old, was it Donahue that said, if I can't spin the tires coming off the corner all the way to the next corner, then I don't have enough power. I don't, I don't, I've never been oh, able to do that. Older Donahue, yeah. 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 I just, I've never been that guy. I want balance. Are you, you, you strike me as the balance guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up dr driving little cars, showroom stock, horsepower cars, yeah. and still balance is just critical story for me. If a car is balanced, I believe that a good handling car practically drives itself, and and I really don't believe in slow in. I believe in fast in. Well, slow when you know you're aimed at the apex, it feels calm in the middle. Right. right? That's that's what I meant. I, I mean, don't middle. don't overdrive the car. Yeah, Just don't ever the middle because that's such um, an important time 
when you're going from completely cornering to beginning to accelerate. Calm in the middle, then roll the power in gently at the very first, and then as the weight transfers back all the way down to full and you come out of there, you know, it feels slow in the middle, but by the time you get to the exit, you are moving. Yeah. And when Sarah Edge would do that, I swear to God, it brought tears to my eyes because she got so good at it. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. Oh. <laughs> that feeling you get when you're in the right seat with someone that gets it right. And you know that you at least paid, played some small part of that is damn near as good as when you get it right. Like it, it, do you, did you get that reward? I mean, it sounds like you got that reward from, from anyone that you've ever coached. It just, it feels well, so good that. seeing them get better. But inside I was glowing like yeah. a proud papa. Yeah, absolutely. I was proud of her too, cause she did it. <laughs> right. But, but to have, to see her doing that or any client, any driver that I'm coaching, to see them learn that feeling of getting on the throttle like a butterfly landing on a leaf at first, gentle and roll it on. That's a, and that's how the GT2 RS is. I didn't have to do anything special. I could just, just turn the wheel and it did the right thing the whole time. I need, I need to find one. <laughs> You're talking it up to the point where I'm like, I need to drive that car. You need to drive one because it's, I know the Cayman R and it's so beautifully balanced and such a well-behaved car. All those Caymans, R's, uh, Caymans are up until yeah. the GT4 and the GT4 Club Sport. Because when you lower them a lot, they get ugly. Yeah. People. Don't lower your Caymans super, super low to the ground. It screws up the rear toe curve. Uh, but when they're at stock ride height, hell, Sean, I love the 2007 Cayman S. Yeah. yeah. The plain old stock Cayman. Yeah. Although, guess what? If you try to track that, the oiling doesn't work. <laughs> and a lot of bad things can happen. Yeah. And a lot and of people... If you get the, the, that's one thing that I've found is that with the mid-engine Porsche, it has so much grip that most people will never explore the car's true 10 tenths. Like really? most people will never get it up there. But if you, if you have the ability to get the car to its 10 tenths, that thing gets wicked on the edge. Like it, when it, when they snap, it's, and it's true with a lot of mid-engine cars, when they go, they spin in their own axis, man. They, there's no wagging the tail. It's just gone. McLarens um, are like that. Are they really? With the stability off. Except okay. for the 720, it got better. Okay. Because uh, I'm actually going to get to take that 720 out on Barber here. And once we oh. go back to the norm, I cannot wait, man. I, oh, I love them. They're just so powerful. You got to be, especially at Barber with all those slow corners, you, you got to. Uh, wield the great power with great responsibility. <laughs> with with great power up. comes a very controlled right foot. Yeah, that's a Spider-Man yeah. quote, I think. Yeah. But uh, they're so powerful that you can screw yourself up. you got to be really, well, I'm sure you will be. Uh, I'm going to try. I, I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm going to go out and I'm going to drive the car at seven tenths and I'm going to bring the $400,000 car home unscathed. Ah. That's what I'm going to do. I'm you not, won't hurt it. Go I'm not. I'm not going to hurt it. I'm definitely not going to hurt it. It's I, I love the guy that, that, that owns it. I'm not going to tear up Phil's car. You um, it's 20 has better brakes too. better brake response. The early McLarens 
did not have good response or a good pedal feel. And I, I didn't like the way I'd be ripping down the straightaway in like a 675 LT um, and or the MP412C, ripping down the straight going, I wonder where I should break because I don't feel real confident about how and when. Whereas a 720, the brakes started to make sense again. Right. Well, it started to feel a little bit more like the world standard of brakes. Tell me. Porsche. Porsche. Yeah, it's Porsche. Porsche. There's Porsche no doubt. Great brakes. The C7. As good or better as anybody in the business. They had fantastic brakes. Did you ever did you ever drive a Mark IV R32? Sorry? Did you ever get to drive Mark Four a Mark IV R32 in anger? Yeah. Yeah. That car, I had, I had one. That car, I tried to make the the factory brakes would not die on that car. Like it was, <laughs> I, I, it was sixty to zero, and like back in two thousand four, it was sixty to zero, and like one hundred and thirteen feet or something like that. That was unheard of that was on a car. Yeah, it was. Right? Yeah, it was the it was the R thirty two, yeah, the three point two liter VR. Um, that it was underpowered. But my God, what a what an amazing braking system that car had. Um, yeah, but John, Porsche is Porsche. I didn't standard. like about most of those VWs from that era is the stability control wouldn't go all the way off. I didn't like that, and the, I, the hall decks back then was terrible. Yeah, I don't it like was, hall decks. I'm it was sorry, terrible. but terrible. I had a Volvo V70R wagon back when I was it's racing. Cool car. car yeah, it's a cool car. Car, but it had a hall decks. Yeah. And what a hall decks does is it's a front drive until you start to slip, yeah. and then it. A, attaches rear drive but it never sends it where you want it rear drive until it starts to slip and then attach the fronts <laughs> and so the, the holodex is old school yeah the um, r32 when you would turn in like if you if you if it was a too tight of a corner with the drive-by wire that vw had back then it wasn't very it wasn't sensitive you couldn't modulate throttle all that well and you turn in and you get the car balanced and then you try to go back to power and it would put the inside front into orbit and wouldn't transfer power anywhere. And then you'd let off to try to get the thing to come back to you. And when you'd let off the throttle hang that they had programmed instead that they had programmed into it would just hold the RPMs up forever. So you literally like, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I remember sitting down oh, with a VW engineer. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, I have to ask this question, and this will get John reengaged in the conversation, probably. Um, <laughs> I told you I was going to be quiet through most of this. Uh, I'm gonna, let's switch it over to road cars real quick. I remember, I believe I remember this correctly. You ran for champion for a couple years, correct? I had that great honor, yes. And did they or did they not give you an S4 Avant, a black S4 Avant? It was not an S4. It was a uh, four-cylinder turbo. But it, it was it was a black Avant. It was the black Avant. The champion wheels and yes, champion wheels had uh, oh somebody's exhaust on it. Borla maybe. Did I, I? I drilled on your car. Oh, I, I love that. <laughs> that that car made every time I walked by. I was like, that's Randy's car. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. They only um, gave it to me for a year, but right. Guess what? I drove for Audi in 2004 also. And they said, hey, what car do you want? And I'm going, I want to keep this one. You know, thank you. <laughs> Don't take it no, back. No, you can't. 
I'm going, <laughs> what? What do you mean I can't? Well, now you've got a, you know, the, the upgrade, the factory contract's been upgraded. We won the championship in 2003 and you have to have a new car. And I went, oh man. <laughs> But I'm happy with this one. Don't take it. You should have bought it. Did they let you? Would they have let you buy it from them? Or were uh, they? Just... Yeah, but buy it. What are you crazy? <laughs> I a new car. Yeah, okay. Uh, just, for, just for the a year. I didn't get to keep it. Right. I, I got another Avant uh, Sport, uh, but it was. I went with the V6, and the V6 was more luxurious. It was a lot heavier on the nose. It was smooth. It was mellow. I like the four-cylinder turbo a lot better. Much lighter on the nose. They had a little chippy chip in it, so it had pretty yeah. good torque. And uh, I would love to have cranked that up another 100 horse, which would have been really easy with an upgrade to what a TDO4 turbo and wouldn't have taken much. Yeah, now it's like the yeah, IS38 upgrade for, for the two-liter VWs and Audis. You can get crazy power out of those cars nowadays. Sticking with streetcar theme, and this is where I was hoping to get John reengaged. What is your what is the favorite street? What is the favorite car that you've ever owned as a daily driver? And what does Randy Popes have in his garage right now? Oh well, yeah, well, well, my garage right now is easy. I have a lot of a lot of cars, but I just bought a new car. I have ever since I drove for Mazda, I like to have the car I'm driving when I drive for a factory. And I could not talk Mazda into giving me a car to drive. So I bought a Miata. I was racing a Miata with Freedom Autosport. Mm -hmm. And I, I sold that a year later. I, actually, I loved that car, except I couldn't use it as an airport car because I couldn't get my two bags in it. <laughs> and uh, so for literally six years, I was looking for a uh, really nice daily driver until I finally committed. Um, because I'm cheap, I want a good deal. I've, you know, I've traveled all the time. You know what I ended up with? I bought a Camaro, one LE oh, four yeah. cylinder. That's a great car. It, it's that little turbo is cool, man. It's like my old Audi. It's so yeah. light on the nose for a Camaro. Yeah. This thing weighs thirty three fifty. Guess what? The ZL1 one LE six hundred and fifty horsepower car. That thing's like thirty eight fifty, thirty nine. Yeah. We're talking 500 pounds. Yeah. And if I had one of those, I'd be in jail or the hospital or death. <laughs> the, well, used to give me grief when I was with SRT. They were developing the uh, the Challenger. Um, they had the Challenger GT that you could get the Scat Pack suspension and four-pot Brembos on. And that was like two years ago that that car came out. I was up at uh, the Proving Grounds up in uh, outside of Detroit, uh, Chelsea. And all the SRT guys were out there and we had all the you know, track hawks and ACRs and just all the hot stuff was out there. And I kept hot lapping. I kept hot lapping a 500 Abart, the 124 Abart and mm. the, the Challenger GT with the scat pack stuff under it. And it was like, uh, Eric, you know, Eric Hoisley. Oh yeah, I know him yeah. well. Eric hopped in the car with me, and he's like, "What do I need to do to get you in the in the trackhawk for a couple laps?" So I was like, "I'll go drive it, but I'm going to come back and drive the Challenger." And he's like, "Why do you like it so much?" I was like, "Because it turns. It it actually turns when I want it to. It's it's amazing when that happens. It's cool to hear that that you like the the nimble. You know, you like the 
the like, nimble side of things. Yeah, and it has enough power for the street without going crazy. I can tack it out and I'm doing 67, not 90. Right. And uh, literally, uh, part of the reason I chose it was I, I really felt like I'd just get myself in trouble drifting a Camaro SS around a corner. I would, I would. <laughs> it goes back to your history of the small, light, nimble cars, the little sports cars you started out with. It goes back into the conversation. I think about a week ago, I put up the meme as a memory off my personal page up to the podcast page. If you can't go fast with 90 horsepower, 900 horsepower is worthless. And it goes back to the Jay Leno statement about, you know, our, like, I guess Jay Leno says, said it, but it, I won't credit it to him that it's it's more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow. And when you're on the street, you don't need, you know, 600, 800 horsepower. It's kind of a waste except stoplight to stoplight. And eventually you get tired of that or you get tired of buying tires, one or the other. So and fuel. I, I, think, I think, you know, I, I'm totally with you. Is I, I like the small and nimble and, you know, little – little type fun cars you know i'm a huge crxsi guy i don't know if you oh, know. yeah <laughs> and, and, you know i've had my miatas in my lifetime and of course i'm a lotus guy with caterham and you know, you're talking uh the mid-engine oh. stuff i can't tell you how many times i loop my europa you know it's um you know i've I just liked that small little light fast stuff and sean's i've watched sean over the years and met him when he was driving a mini and he's went to the the Fiats, and uh, two years ago, if he was running that Scat Pack, I think he had his Scat Pack also. So, I mean, he he's been into the big heavy challengers too. Uh, he, he runs everything, and you know, has I have an Alpha. It's it's a sickness, right? I mean, it's literally like once you once once you get a little bit of the the car. I, I don't. It doesn't even necessarily have to be car. It's vehicular. There's something about tires and engines. I don't care whether it's two wheels, four wheels. I don't care whether it's front wheel drive, rear wheel drive, all wheel drive. I don't care if it's 90 horsepower or 900. Just give me the keys. And <laughs> you strike me as the same. It's literally like, it seems like you're happy with whatever it is that you get to drive as long as you get to drive. Am I right in that assumption? Me? Yeah, you. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to John. Oh, hell no. Um, I'm talking to you. I can talk to John anytime. Whoa. I don't get to talk to you all that. <laughs> I'm not happy with everything. Things that piss me off. One, stability controls that intervene, and I can't turn them off and get rid of them. And I know it. I feel it. That pisses me off. Another thing, I don't like snap entry oversteer. How about Miatas that like bump steer? Cars. And I've driven long enough. I know you don't need to be that way to be fast. In right. fact, if you are that way, I will beat you because you're going to put too much heat and wear on your back tires. And I will wear you out. <laughs> I'm a slow hands. When the car's right, the hands are slow. And some cars rotate in a beautiful way. And I love to do that drifty thing. Uh, but this, no, that makes me angry. But yeah, yeah, okay. I still love it. But. Is that why you got out of the uh, the TA 2.0 Viper and and berated it the way you did? <laughs> I think it was Laguna Seca. You you got out of that car and went on a tirade, man. I was like, ooh, ooh, trying to kill you. <laughs> even going straight when you shift gears, that car rotated. They fixed it. They did fix it. 
They totally fixed it. Yeah. You're talking about the ACR Viper, the last one. Yeah. Pressure the well, ACR. no, there was an orange TA 2.0 that I think you drove at Laguna. Yes. yes. That, that, like, I, the interview yeah. after that was like, what'd you think, Randy? Well, I don't want to die. So don't bump me down. It was something along, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was close to that. And then they came back with, a bunch of suspension changes and maybe some better tires on it. You had some better things to say about it, but the one before the TA was worse. Really? And yeah. I got into a Twitter war with, um, Oh gosh, who's that great Ralph Gill. Yeah. The designer, and he's a, he is, or was a big cheese at Chrysler. And he's yeah. one of the greatest people that ever lived. I love Ralph. Love the guy, but he came into that Viper well after it was established and they, they, they just called it the car's personality. Oh, that's how it is. You got to drive this car. And I said, no, it just <laughs> handles bad. <laughs> and I like to think that I had some little bit of help in telling the emperor that he had no clothes on. I think you did. Uh, I, I know. I, matter of fact, I don't think you did. I know you did. Really? I, I, I feel good about that. I, know I don't you want did. to insult I, anybody, but the, but the truth is the truth. And sometimes you got to hear it. And the TA was a step in that direction. It was a little better. But then the Viper ACR-X, I don't know if you even drove a normal ACR, was fantastic. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. I could drive it with one hand. It was unbelievable. It's daily I, drivable, too. Like and You can't say that about car. any other Viper. Talk about a car that would bring tears to my eyes because it improved so much. Right. Like Helen Keller, when she was blind and couldn't see and couldn't talk and she understood the water she said wait a minute you're telling me that this stuff i feel is water i get it i get it <laughs> that's how i felt when i drove the acr viper i said you you guys you fixed it that and it's what it's canceled don't yeah. cancel it you fixed it yeah i'd it happens um, way too often man you, 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 know, you get it right and then you kill it model year yeah, you get it right, and then you exit. Yeah, we've well, we've had a Viper in our our family since '94, so first generation what? first generation car. Um, wow! And I've always said, and since you know '94, and it, it's exactly what you said is part of the appeal to Viper and Viper ownership is knowing the two rules about a Viper. <laughs> One, the car's designed to kill you, and your purpose in life is to stay alive. And <laughs> every trip you keep rule number two intact, in you've done well. And I, even when I get into it on the Radwood pages and we're talking about one gen or kind of that 95 to 98 Viper or so where they softened it a little bit, uh, put yeah. door handles on it and glass in it, you know, those trivial things <laughs> you need in the 90s. Uh, that's one of the prides of ownership is it, it'll scare you and it takes a little bit of finesse or just insanity to drive it. And of course, one of the things I criticize over Viper is exactly what you're commending them for is they got softer and softer over the years. And by the time they have went away for this generation, I'm sure they'll be back. You know, they were a lot like driving a Corvette. They were very Corvette-ish and a little, yeah. bit, little bit softer. So The Gen 1 through 4 wanted to kill you. The Gen 5, up until they did make the changes was a little too raw but now i i swear that the gen 5 to me is daily drivable you you could literally live with that car on a daily basis you can't get anything in it unfortunately you couldn't you can't take it shopping 
or anything like that. But clubs not going to work. I don't think so. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. But like the the Gen Five, once they got the calibration stuff sorted, it's very tame until you ask it to be rude, and then it gets rude. Um, and 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 there's something. What do you think? The first time you heard the Gen Five exhaust note, did that not make the hair stand up all over your? Like it's that trumpet sound that that eight four makes, man. It's it's visceral and happiness and everything that I ever wanted a car to sound like. It just yeah, it, and it's best in the car. Yeah, because you can yeah, hear that, well, pipes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just it makes and it just makes an amazing noise. Eight point um, four liters. Can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I, I can. I I got to actually tear one of those motors down at prefix. Um and just yeah, just going through just I'm I'm mechanical like I I'm not a mechanic at all, but I appreciate the the mechanical side of all that stuff and just getting to see the cam and cam tech and all that. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, for being a push rod motor. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's, right? Yeah. The yeah. early ones had an iron block. Didn't yeah, they, they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. They were really heavy. And and the motor's like flat long. <laughs> yeah, they're as big as your room. And there's a reason why the Viper has, you know, an aircraft carrier front end on it. It's it needs a lot of room up there. I I have one last question for you. I think we're we're probably pushing up on an hour, aren't we, John? We, I was gonna say we just hit an hour and we hadn't touched on any of randy's uh two-wheel stuff i don't know how much time he's got for us if he wants to give us we can always bring him back yeah we can bring him back or if he wants to give us 15 more minutes and talk a little bit about it i love to talk motorcycles we need to talk a little bit motorcycle but i again i don't know what your schedule is and i just in this time of lockdown i have to run to target so but but that's that's all i've got on my schedule for tonight so i got at least until whatever eight o'clock or seven o'clock <laughs> <laughs> can you well, spare another hour at some point minutes and maybe talk bikes a little bit i would love to thank yeah, you yeah let's 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 do that because like i said in the very very beginning and that's how no driving gloves works is we start with something and we end up end up finishing with it uh is that i met you through you know personally through um motorcycles and some of this stuff that you had and you, you know, Sean asked you what cars you had in your garage, and you kind of dodged it. And we talked about the Camaro. And I think a, one, a, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years ago, when, like I said, the Vinwicky thing, you talked about three or four, maybe you had five cars at the time, but 15 motorcycles and had a goal to get those down to four or five. And maybe that's one of the reasons you were at um, Vintage Festival. But did we, f- first question is, were we successful in paring that down, or did one go away and rebirth two more or something like that. Not successful in paring it down yet. I, I did sell two bikes, but then a guy calls me up, says he inherited a bike from his mom and my good friend, Mark Francis. And I said, Mark, I got no room, no, no need for any more motorcycles. Thank you. Not interested. He says, yeah, but I'll give it to you. I went, what? <laughs> okay. Okay, because <laughs> it's it's a 1981 Honda CX 500, which is not a highly desirable motorcycle, but it's cool. And with each passing year, it's a V-twin, water-cooled, perfect, garage-kept condition, new. And I can't say no. And 
Besides, the minivan was only $25 one way from Columbus, Ohio to, no, from Cincinnati to uh, Atlanta. So anyway, yeah, I, fa I failed on that, John. But, and plus, I just bought a bike about a month ago. I bought a KTM 690 Duke. Oh, that's cool. Which is, again, like the cars, light, yeah. agile, quick, uh, like a part of you. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of big, heavy motorcycles. And I have very few motorcycles that have any more than 100 horsepower be because most of them are far less because most of them are old. But my very favorite bike is a, a Honda CBX done as a cafe racer. Yeah. And the CBX is a, is a six-cylinder. The motorcycle's outrageous, or the engine is outrageous. Air-cooled six-cylinder that's wider than the gas tank is. You can see it sticking out both sides. Definitely had to have a six-into-one exhaust because the uh, exhaust note is just mind-bending. Yeah. Between the intake and the exhaust... And, what kind of rpm does what kind of rpm does it spin it's not that this thing's a 1979 so uh nine or ten grand it's not that high it's not that low either i mean it's it's still still nine grand is awesome when i was at barber's uh you know mr barber came to our the guy that had been with this the restoration team and used to race and said hey what bike if you could build your dream bike what do you want and the gentleman said a CBX and Mr. Barber basically gave him a CBX and said, your project is to make this your dream bike. And, you know, on, on limited budget, but keeping it within budget, I think Mr. Barber is unlimited and the director and the financial people were a little different, but he ended <laughs> up building one heck of, and I would almost say it's in that cafe racer spirit of the CBX. And that's, I'm not a huge bike guy, but that's when I began to learn about it and the reputation and, you know, the, the legend that bike really is, is, you know, it's, it's a lot of cylinders and inline six in a motorcycle or a, well, I guess that would be a transverse six, wouldn't it? But, yes. Is that bike in the museum? Where did that bike uh, end up? I'd love to see it. It's usually, um, unless they, you know, it's really been a year since I've seen the collection. It used yeah. to be kept in the basement level, just, oh. out, it's just outside of Chuck's office behind where the 918 spider is on display and i don't know if it's still there but you know next time you're there you know see if you can manipulate your way down or give me a call and i'll call somebody and we'll get you to see that bike i will thanks john you're always so good to me i'm i'm uh, i'm pretty good friends with lee clark yeah i bet Lee could set me up yeah lee lee definitely could lee was my former supervisor there and you know so yeah, I just, you could you could give him a call and you know he'll give you that personal tour and or set you up with one of the motorcycle guys, which to be honest, don't tell Lee I told you this, even though this is a public podcast. You'd be better off talking straight to one of the bike guys because Lee Lee lo loves bikes, but I don't think he can get as in depth as you want to get with him as some of the uh, restorers. Uh, so yeah, maybe they even let me do a video on one because I am starting this little video channel. Just just like two weeks ago, right. we did our first real live Randy Pope's YouTube video. Yeah. Why would they not? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I can at least I, I at can, least broach it. Let, let me stutter my way through that one. I can tell you why they wouldn't, and I can tell you why they would. But all I can say is it doesn't hurt to ask. And uh, 
if you if you know Lee and Lee knows you and I know Lee knows your history, um, you you might have a pretty good uh, line to get in that way. And again, we can we can Great. figure out and I can see if I have any favors left over there. But they've been very good to me since I've left. So Great. very good to me when I left and very good to me afterwards. So there's no hard feelings. So you got into bike you got into bikes at twelve. Did you say you got into bikes when you were twelve years old? Yeah, yeah, mini bike, uh, Tecumseh engine, steel frame mini bike. Okay. <laughs> okay, like orange frame, purple seat. Um, yeah. Blue. blue? Okay. Mine is blue. Yep. All right. So where? When? What was your? What was your first real bike? What was your? Like, was it a dirt bike? Were you ever into the dirt side of things, or? Not, not really. No? In Florida, back in 1972, when you were 15 years old. You could ride a five horsepower motorcycle on the street. And my generous dad, or maybe he wanted to get rid of me, he <laughs> set me up with a bike. And uh, it was a Yamaha GS7, which is an 80cc steel stamped frame, two stroke motorcycle where the uh, engine hangs out in front all by itself. It was yeah. rotor valve. And it was funny, real funny bike. That looking back, I like even more because it had a high pipe. We used to call them scramblers when they had yeah. a high, high chrome pipe. But the rest of the bike looked like a cafe racer. It had a long tank and it had a little seat with a kick up on the back and the paint job and the racing stripe on the back of the seat matched on the tank. This is a moped before mopeds existed, basically. Uh, no, it was more than a moped. It was more, okay. Okay. But, uh, that was my very first motorcycle. Very cool. Very cool. And have you ever had any big, I mean, you've, you've got the CB, but have you ever had any like modern thousand CC? I know you've probably ridden a couple of the, the just the stupidly, ridiculously fast, like Hayabusa, ZX-13s. Have you, have you been on those? I haven't owned one, but I've ridden them. Like, like I did a cool motorcycle show with Motor Trend yeah. called Throttle Out. And they did cars versus bikes. And so the deal was, I'm going to hot lap one of their motorcycles and I've never, as much as I've ridden motorcycles, I have never done a hot lap on one. I've never tracked one. And then they, Zach and Ari were going to drive, actually it ended up being Zach was going to drive a car and we we're going to compare our lap times. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's super cheaty because they get in some AMG that's got stability. <laughs> super cheaty. Yeah. I mean, it's got stability control, it's got ABS, it's, and then I get on this R1S, no, R, R, Yamaha R1R, I think. What's oh, the it's top a of the silly top? fast bike. The motorsport? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. And the, uh, that bike like that, well, it's, it's, it's cheaty, too, because now they have a uh, wheelie control. Yeah. So I can just pin it, and I don't have to worry about the thing flipping over on me it just keeps that front wheel about an inch off the ground and it's glorious it, but and Mach 7 no on two shift. wheels is still scary no matter what yeah. it's and no lift shift yeah da, 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 da. anyway those bikes bikes like that the leader bikes they're so powerful that it is exactly like okay what's the space show when they go to they jump up to like warp speed or whatever speed and all the stars turn into white streaks star trek star, star wars yeah. it, uh, i don't know if it, yeah any of them or all of them it's it's warp drive 
Yeah, yeah the bikes feel like that. Yeah. The everything except straight ahead blurs. It's in, incredible. I don't know how people race those things. And interestingly, in a motorcycle race, a good guy on a little 600 will be will run second or third in the leader bike class because they're they're just so powerful. They're so overpowered for something with a contact patch that big. <laughs> right. Right. It's amazing. So I've ridden them. And again, that's another one where my survival instinct says I'll be in the hospital or dead if I ride one of these or in jail. That's why I haven't had a bike in 20 years. I, I, I literally, now that you've ridden them on track though, do you have the itch to go back or are you yes. still? Yes. You know why? Because I still feel great risk to my body. I don't think it's likely that I'll kill myself on a racetrack. Um, I think it, it is fairly likely I'm going to break a bone. And when I was racing professionally, I could never afford to do that. I couldn't right. break anything. I still don't want to break anything desperately. Yeah. But I can't help it. I've got this, you know, you showed that little drug injection. Yeah. I've got that with motorcycles. I want to ride them. I really do. And I'm, I uh, stay careful. I wear all the gear all the time. And I want to, I would love to track a bike. And Are you, so you're, you're, you're street riding all the time. You're, I, you're street street ride, riding. I live well outside Atlanta and I don't go toward Atlanta. I go the other way. I right. go north, right up into the country from my house. It's 45 minutes to a genuine windy mountain road with no houses on it. And that's for me is one of the greatest feelings in life. I can't have you, been, have you been up to the dragon on a bike? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many times. In fact, I had this very interesting experience, a couple of good dragon experiences. But one, I'd been there many times on motorcycles, and the dragon is very tight. You're A lot of time you're in second or third gear. That's part of what I like, is that if you ride it hard, a lot of times you're only doing 40 miles an hour or, yeah. or 25 in the corners. Yeah. And that tightness keeps the speeds down. So your crashes are more likely to be injury than death. Although a lot of people have died there, but anyway, so I rode a lot of motorcycles before I ever went there in a car. And I had a Porsche 911 and I went there in 2001. I had a Porsche 911, uh, plain old Carrera from Porsche. Cause I was, that's when I was driving for them. And I, I did the road in a car. And this was a pretty good car, a 911. They were 300 horse back then. And yet every time I came out of a corner, second gear, 5,300 RPM, right on the torque curve, I would gas it. And it felt like it was absolutely tied to a tree. So lazy compared to the motorcycles that would just leap off the corner. Well, yeah. It was <laughs> Whereas the bikes, you know, and, but, uh, you know, don't do this, but I time myself. <laughs> don't do this, but <laughs> that's perfect. A minute. This is over, uh, 11 miles. I was a minute faster in a plain old Porsche streetcar than in any motorcycle I'd ever ridden there. Good Lord. And it's because the, the risk. Yeah. I, I could wail that streetcar into a corner and I wasn't worried about, you know, oh, did somebody just drop diesel oil here or 
is something going to get wrong, go wrong, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that could go wrong on that. So road. many things. So many I, I'm things. not going to name names, but there was a group of race drivers, like professional drivers that I was hanging out with at Daytona several years back. And they talked about, they used to go up to the dragon all the time and they would set up like uh, checkpoints basically where they would have a bunch of them across the whole road with radios that were two way into whoever's was driving's helmet. And they were, and they were looking for fastest lap time on the dragon. And it, yeah, it's crazy, man. I I can't in in cars. Yeah. But still, I mean, and they were doing it at night. So you could actually see it's safer at night. Actually it's safer at night because you can see the headlights. You got coming. Yeah. 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 If you, you, you like, you can't during the day, there are places that are just totally blind and you, you Oh, many, many. Yeah. And they also the other rule, and this is a rule that I follow whenever I'm on a road like that, and I hope you'll back me up on this. Yep. Do not cross the damn yellow line. <laughs> Don't do I'm it. All the way to the <laughs> I you didn't can... all this way to go straight. Right. I'm right, but... I don't understand why people go to a windy know. road and then drive straight. I don't get it's plus if, they... if you cross that line. But you're endangering you so yeah plus you die that's just all there is to it and so what do you do you got an apex late and that's what a lot of people don't understand normal people don't understand late apexes yeah. especially on a 200 horsepower 400 pound motorcycle yeah and going back to bikes it doesn't necessarily mean don't cross the yellow line with your tires. Don't put your head in the, in the oncoming lane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> don't, don't do it. It happens all the time. I have literally come around corners on mountain passes. Angeles Crest. I've, co- I've been on Angeles Crest in some really nice stuff and having a lot of fun. And you come around a corner and or in Carlsbad, you come around a corner and there's literally a biker with half his body in your lane. Your lane. Yeah. And it's like, I got nowhere to go. I'm in a car. You're going to get hurt. Yeah. I'm the front of my car is going to look like I hit a deer. You might not walk away. It's like, it's, yeah. it's crazy that people do that. I, I will never it's, understand. It's very, very reassuring to hear that you agree with that perspective. Oh, absolutely. And, and I leave a, I leave a margin, a wide margin. There's, there's a reason that, that I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Motorcycles for 40 years. I like to go kind of quick, but that's about it. Just kind of quick. Yeah. And I've had a, I've gotten away with a couple of messages from the universe where it was a little close. And so ever had a big tank slapper? We gave you that one. You might not get the next one. Yes, I get you. Have I you ever you. had a big tank slapper at high speed on a bike? Um, I've had a little. I've had a slide. A little. Okay. Oh man, and it, it rock, and it wasn't at high speed. Yeah. But uh, I had a slide on. I was on my GS 1200. I have a BMW GS 1200, R 1200 GS, best motorcycle. Lovely ever. touring bike. They yeah. feel so good. Their, yeah. their suspension is totally different than a normal normal motorcycle. They have these paralevers. They don't have forks, so the yeah. geometry is completely different, and it works. And I'd ridden all the way to Ohio and back, and I was really feeling my oats, and I was on a a road called War Woman Road, which is outside of Clayton, Georgia. And they have a section that's like the dragon, that tight and white. Oh, wow. 
Okay. And I was ripping through their dragon pegs, which I almost never do on that bike until I get really, really comfy. And I got greedy with the throttle. And uh, I got wheel spin and got sideways. And it snapped up and did this kind of whoa, 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 whoa. I hit my head on the windshield. Oh, wow. And didn't go down. And that was one of my universe like. It's, it'll wake you up, man. It'll wake. I've literally, I've only had one street bike, and I sold it. It was two a.m. I was going back to my house. It was two a.m. and I was running twelve thousand plus RPM in six gear. Oh. And it was it was a ZX six. It wasn't anything fast, but it was still. Yeah, I was only going one hundred and sixty. Right. <laughs> or what? I don't know if it was one hundred and seventy-five or it was one hundred and fifty-five, and I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I I literally I was like, this feels too good. I like this too much. Boom! <laughs> just let out of it and went. That bike's for sale, man. Like I just, I'm with you. That the, the hundred horsepower bike, like that Duke that you just got. I I did you just get it or have you ridden it a lot? And just got it. That's a beautiful. It's, it's just a beautiful it's, bike. It's seventy two horsepower. It's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It still squirts. 319 pounds right it squirts that's all i want is a squirt yeah no more than a squirt that does it for me man and I, I, so far so far i love it i want to soften it i like compliance i agree so you and i need to meet at barber we, we need to meet up at barber with some 250 cc bikes and just go out and wring the neck of some 250s out on the track i think that would be fun i i, yeah, I could do that yeah. um I, yeah, the the whole Mach twenty three down the back stretch at Barber on a bike terrifies me to death. I, I don't need that in my life. I want roll cage. I don't even want to get in open wheel cars anymore. I want a roll cage. I want doors. I want fenders. I don't, I don't want to knock wheels with anything. I, I how do you feel about the open wheel thing? Would you would you hop in an open wheel car and go? Oh, go yeah. Wheel wheel? Okay. That's, yeah. I, I drove a, uh, a lot of vintage Formula Ford at a uh, charity event out in uh, High Plains Raceway outside of Denver. Yeah. With the Rocky Mountain RMVR, Rocky Mountain Vintage Racing. Okay. Wonderful. And a bunch of guys let me drive their cars. And, but, and one thing that helps a car like that is it weighs 900 pounds. Yeah. And so when it does slide, it stops really quick. <laughs> right. If you're in an especially AMG, a wide tire yes, car yeah. that weighs thirty eight hundred pounds, and you you spin, you go a long way. <laughs> you have a lot of momentum, buddy. A body in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon <laughs> by an equal or opposite. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. good stuff, man. Good stuff. I uh, last question: What's your favorite track? Oh, that's easy. Nürburgring. Really? It no. makes every other racetrack look like a kiddie go-kart track. Really? You that's really your favorite track. Oh heck. It's so well, it's so stupid fast. <laughs> a lot of those corners, if you don't have four or five hundred horsepower, you don't even get to the cornering limit. Right. Because they're gentle. And um yeah, it's in a league all of its own. Now, let, if we come back to, down to reality, in North America, I'm a huge fan of a, a kind of an obscure track called Mont Tremblant mm. uh, up in Quebec. That's Stroll's place, right? Uh, no, Ralph Lauren, isn't it? 
it's it's Lauren and and uh, Lawrence Stroll actually. Lawrence Stroll was uh, a Ralph Lauren guy. Oh, okay. And okay. Yeah, yeah, Stroll actually has a, a I'll call it a castle <laughs> up there up there at the track. I believe it. I yeah. believe it. I'm a huge um, fan of that track. It's a fun track. A couple other of my favorites, Watkins Glen. You know why? Because the turns are all banked, except yeah. for coming out of the boot. If you ever have trouble at Watkins Glen coming out of the boot, slow down more. You don't have the grip you do everywhere else. It took me about, I don't know, five years to figure that out. How many lovely blue Armco stripes did you leave on cars before you oh, figured that out? Oh, I've had them. I've had my share, buddy. You're right. Everybody but has. It, when I design a track, and I hope somebody out there will bring me to design a track, I'm going to have no off camber and no decreasing radius. Because yes, there are great driving challenges, but no, your car feels like crap. It doesn't handle. It's not fun. My track is going to always be banked and always increasing radius and always be getting faster. What and about elevation? Place you ever drove. What about elevation change? Oh, love it. Okay, cool. Elevation change is a huge, huge challenge because when you're going up, you got more grip. And when you're going down, you got less. Yeah. I, I, any track with elevation changes is, is the track for me. It's, I like blind apex too. I like, I, I, I like, but we're coming at it from a little bit different angle, but, you know, be, having spent the time on track that you spent, you understand those things intrinsically now. Um, if I had to pick, it's very tough for me to pick. You're, you're throwing me in the same situation I threw you in earlier. Um, probably road Atlanta. Oh. Just because I've spent so much time there. I love road Atlanta and I, very high speed. I love everything. I love everything about road Atlanta, except for turn seven, turn seven can die. <laughs> Turns to, I, I just, the boot. it's got no camber. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you always feel like you should be able to get to power about that much sooner than you actually do. And or, or can, and I just, you, I never feel like I got all of turn seven. Um, Road Atlanta, Mid-Ohio, VIR are very close. In Mid-Ohio, lots of elevation, busy, Mido. lots of corners. Love mid There's VIR something about the keyhole and, and the run down to madness. And it just, it, yes, that's intriguing to me. And then VIR, just because VIR is kind of a condensed, especially if you're running the grand course at VIR, um, that's a condensed Nürburgring. <laughs> it's like oh, a I love the grand course with all yeah. those corners in the infield yeah yeah it just, right. it is it's it's crazy busy and tons of fun yeah and vir has got too many straightaways it's got that huge log back straight it's essentially a long front straightaway and then unless your car, car has four or five hundred horsepower the s's are a straightaway they're yeah. flat out yeah if you're in a, if you're in a low horsepower car the, the s's are flat definitely yeah so you add the grant course and you had a lot more corners. In the there. Grand makes it fun. I'm with you. That's a good one. You know, yeah. it's a, a great sleeper track that not a lot of people know, especially on the East Coast, is Thunder Hill. Thunder Hill's amazing. I really, really enjoy Thunder Hill. I do that 25-hour race. Yeah. I've done some programs out there. I've never raced on it. I'm sorry, what? I've done some programs out there, but I've never gotten to, oh. to race on it. It's, oh, it's an epic yeah. track. Yeah. It's a great one. Have they you have been to... The most have you been to the ridge? Sorry? Have you been to the ridge? I have, and just recently with Lucky Dog Racing Series. That, that track is epic. Fun. It's fantastic. Yeah, that track is epic. 
Yeah, it is. It's uh, and it's got a good straightaway. Every track needs a good long straight. Yeah. And then on the way, the other side, you're oh man. Do they have any? Do they have any support buildings or anything out there now? Because they, the last time I was there, it was literally like paddock track. You're on your own. <laughs> little buildings there. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a cool track though. That and uh, Pacific Raceway in Washington State. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the the uh, Pacific is the front stretch of Pacific is the the drag strip. Yeah, yeah. That run down into the woods at Pacific. Um, they, there's no guardrail. It's literally like there's no arm. There's no armco and. The whole time you're going down the hill, you're like, if I get this wrong, it's just a tree and me. It's, yeah. But yeah. fun. But the, the sequence of corners at Pacific when you come back is amazing. They yeah. have just the right amount of elevation change, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, the yeah. And then they've got your banks going down the hill into the woods at the end yeah. of the front stretch. Oh. They've got the bank corners that you love. They like, it's oh. literally a corkscrew of bank corners going down into the woods. And oh, yeah. yeah, for programs, we had a lot of fun on that track and I've done really naughty things in grand caravans on that track. Ah. Um, SCCA has a big race weekend coming up there. I was going to go to it. Oh no, they don't. It's been postponed. Everything's been postponed. Uh, yeah, there's an SECA Majors weekend that I went out for once. Scotty B. White brought me out. I drove a bunch of cars, and then we were going to do it again, but now it's all postponed. Isn't that awful not getting to track? Ah! It's, it's, it's terrible. Ah! Okay, now that you said that, I have to I, – I keep lying and saying one more question. Do you have any, any sim stuff at home? Oh, no, not a lick, but I think I might have to do it. I, I've never been a sim driver. I mean, I started driving in 1972. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I mean, we've, I've actually I have been involved in simulation for a long time, and we've had a couple companies that I've worked with. Oh. You've been in simulators that I've been facilitating over the years, like uh, oh. the Porsche uh, hospitality during Petit Le Mans. There were a couple years that we had simulators in there and, and I got to hang out with you and it was just a lot of fun watching you, fun. watching you lay it down in those. But I know that you've run lemons, that you've run some lemons in the past and oh, heck yeah. they were very kind to get my company, uh, Nemesis, involved in bringing lemons to iRacing. And oh, yeah. we had the first lemons iRacing event last night. I was, I, I visited, I saw it. We need you in it's that so field, cool. man. We need you. That was so. I was one of the commentators last night. Um, I told you, you were great. My God, that was so much the fun. Cars are too good. You need lemony cars, but I know that would be hard to create those, right? That's why I brought up Wreckfest at the end of it. I don't. You've probably never heard of Wreckfest, but there's a game called Wreckfest that's literally exactly what the title says, and it's very lemony. Um, <laughs> and the the uh, the damage model, if you bang fenders. There are exhaust parts flying up in the air and fenders coming off and just wrinkled. And, and yeah, it's we're going to try to do something in Wreckfest. But iRacing does provide a really good just environment to be able to get in and set up league racing like that. You know, we had almost 200 drivers sign up for last night. Wow. And we only could get oh, 62 you know, in the field. Guys, the Lemons community is Huge. really into it they're they're the kind of fun loving people that would, would be all over that 
Yeah, we need we need to get you a wheel and pedal set somehow and get and get you out to one of these things. I think you'd have a blast. No, I don't even have one. Isn't that awful? Well, you, you, we'll we, get you and Sean hooked up there. Uh, Sean's getting rid of his Alpha for a minivan so he can cart around <laughs> his simulators. <laughs> and maybe might we, we'll figure out how to get him over to Atlanta when you're in town and uh, bring you a simulator to give that a try. I, I'm up. I'm up for it. What? One of the questions I had about the lemons race, and I guess you, you, either one of you can answer, the virtual lemons race, like last night, you obviously can't do a $500 cap on it. Um, how do you limit that? Is it you can only have like five megabytes that your car can be built out of so that you can't have too many add-ons? Or what, I suggested that you could only have $500 in your simulator. I suggested okay. that we, we limit the, the cost of the, the control set and the actual chassis to 500 bucks. That didn't go over well. Uh, <laughs> we, we weren't allowed to do that. Um, there's really no way to. There's no way to do that. But you can BOP the cars. You can you can add rewards weight, which all of us racers love. Oh, yeah. um, you could add rewards weight and balance fields that way. And then you could. We didn't last night, but you can uh, give people spec setups, you know, fixed setups, basically, to where they can't go in and and tweak caster camber toe and shock settings and all the stuff that you can tweak on the real car. Um, and that tends to balance the field too, just because, I mean, lemons, let's face it. Most people that want to run lemons, they don't really want to practice. They want to hop in a car and have some fun and simulation, especially like I racing level simulation, setting up a car in that, in, in that title is a full time freaking job. I mean, it, it, you can sink tens, if not hundreds of hours in just dialing a car in and it's crazy. And, but I mean, it's the same, it's the same thing as real life, right? I mean, you, you're, when you get to the point where you're looking for that last 10th, then it's a little caster tweak. It's a little shock, you know, fast damping or slow damping tweak. It's a sway bar tweak. It's very sophisticated in that respect. Are you saying and you have four-way shock adjusters? I, if the car has it in real life, the car has it in iRacing. Wow. So literally, like the the really high-end stuff, like the Formula One cars, LMP cars, they have they have like three-way adjustable shocks and uh, dual spring setups, and it's yeah, it it gets crazy. Uh, you can adjust uh, your rear-end ramp rates, uh, on throttle, off throttle. Um, you diff rates and it's everything is if it's adjustable on the real car, it is adjustable in iRacing and it doesn't necessarily work. Like I couldn't take, if iRacing had your Capex Volvo in it, that's behind me right now. Yeah. I wouldn't be, I love, I just love five cylinders of fury. Very good stuff. Um, but I couldn't take the, I couldn't take a setup sheet that you guys had from Capex and sit down and plug in the, the identical numbers. It just, it doesn't quite go one-to-one like that. But, you know, if the car's understeering and I soften the front end, no matter how I soften it, you can dial some of that understeer out. And then the same is true for oversteer. You soften the rear end, you stiffen the front. Um, and then it's the the voodoo, the, the black magic is what I have always called engineers and, and crew chiefs anyway they're black magicians. I don't understand multi-adjustable dampers. I don't, I can tell you what the car's doing, 
I'm good enough to be able to come in and say, this kind of bring, opens another topic, Randy. Gosh. I literally can tell you what the car is doing and I can come in and look at the, the crew chief and the setup guys and go, it's not turning here. It's not turning when I do this. It's turning too much when this happens. Um, and I'm not, I, I'm, I've always been a proponent of don't come in and give your crew chief or your mechanics things to do to mask your poor driving. I, I do everything in my power to make sure that I am letting the car do what it can do. And then I come in and go, you know, it's, it really is doing this and the data is going to show that. And I can, I can prove it with brake force curves and steering angle and where I'm tipping in and cornering speeds. And we have data to back up what I'm saying. How, how do you, how do you translate that? Like when you, when you hop out of a car and you're looking at it, at a crew chief or an engineer, what are, what's your strategy for actually saying, this is what the car needs and these are the reasons why? Any race car driver has got to be negative. When you're driving the car, you need to make that car faster. So the only way to make it faster is to find the places where it is the most slow, where it's the most wrong. So you've got to be negative. You got to look at everything that's wrong, the most right. wrong with it. This is not a good strategy for your family, but it works for a race car. And focus on that because you cannot give your crew, especially on a race weekend, a list of 10 things. Right. Uh, you've got to prioritize or at least prioritize it. Also, most crew chiefs don't like talking much. And so they want it in as few words as possible. And I heard you saying some things that to me already sound good. When you're talking about a car's characteristic, it's doing something, it's very important if you as a driver can um, isolate it to, is it before I get on the gas or after I get on the gas? Because those adjustments are very different, especially when it comes to the shocks. Or is it when I'm braking? Is it when I turn the wheel? I like to, to break a corner into four sections. You're kind of your, your braking and turn in and then as you're finishing the braking and aiming at the apex, and then as you're beginning to apply power and accelerate, and then as you're exiting under full throttle, those four segments. Now, if you as a driver can isolate this characteristic into one of those four segments, and a lot of times it can be come down to understeer or oversteer. Yeah. Or bump. Yeah. And speed. Speed, bump. And where in the corner, which of those quadrants is this thing doing something bad? Like, oh, this thing's loose. It's it's oversteering like crazy. It's oversteering. Where? When, where? <laughs> right, exactly. Almost to the exit under full throttle? Yeah. Are you turning in for the corner? These are very different things. It drives me crazy when a, pro- a professional driver can't relate that. It drives me insane. When yeah, I when I see that, some guys are great drivers and they're terrible at setup. They just can't explain it. I hate it when I have one of those guys for a co-driver. <laughs> I mean, how do like when you when you're sharing a car like that, and and the other guy might be a rocket ship, but can't relate what he's feeling back to the crew chief or the engineers. Do they t- do they do you typically just go off of the way you set the car up and force them to drive around it or? Well, if you have that kind of power, if you're the senior driver on the team, or I I remember a team I drove for where I was the new guy. 
and they'd had a guy there who'd been there for, for uh, six years winning races. The car was horrible. <laughs> the driver was fabulous. He really was. Was it but a Porsche? I had to tell the team, I said, we can be so much better. Right. Um, they got tired of hearing my, my song over and over again. Was and it a Porsche? They worked with me early on. Let me do almost an entire one hour practice session. Try, and I was trying to stabilize the car. It was super loose, super loose. And I was trying to stabilize it. And by the end of the session, I'd gone a little too far. It was, it was getting pushy. I'm like, okay, we got to take some of that back out. I come in the next morning and the crew chief sets me down. He says, well, we talked about what the car is doing. We decided it's not working. We put everything back where it was. And I oh, went, dear God. No! <laughs> we were so close. And the rest we were so the close. That, that was the tone for the rest of the season. And I did what I could. Right. When you work it, it's like a marriage. You have a co-driver and you're a team. You're not a one-man show. You got to work with the people you got and get the most you can get. Yeah. And that's what we did. And we won races and it was it was good. Was that car a Porsche yeah. by any chance? Was the car was the car you're talking about a, a 911 by any chance? Nope. No? Okay. There was a particular car that used to run around in in Rolex. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was a 911 that used to run around in Rolex that looked like a dolphin going through the corners. Uh-huh. Like it, the car, literally every corner, it was just, and every other car going through the corner, dead flat and rotate and set and beautiful. And this one car, every track, and I don't want to name names or, but the early ones, they would, they were bad about that. Yeah, but I mean, you looked at the racers group cars and they were flat and you looked oh. at uh, a couple of the other teams and they, they were really good. But there was that one particular team that I won't name Orbit again. Um, <laughs> it's just like I, we just couldn't figure it out. It's like, OK, does the driver really like it like that? And if so, why? Because <laughs> like you could hear that it was steady state throttle. They weren't doing anything crazy throttle break. And you could look at you could see them going like through the horseshoes at Daytona. Hands smooth <laughs> the whole way around the corner, just wow. like a Bronco, man. It's like that, that can't be right. It just can't be right. From the outside, it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, it was it's crazy. It's man, it's been so good to talk to you. I, I feel like we could sit here and do this for a long time. I know time. it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah, th- thank you for the time again. And we may reach out again and uh. Yeah, I think we got some unfinished business. <laughs> well, We're only scratching the surface. There's a lot yeah. more bikes to talk about, too. I, I'm sorry oh, that I, I drug you back in onto four wheels. I apologize. A yeah. lot more cars, too, by the way. I do have like six more. Yeah. That, oh, then we need to talk about that. That 15-minute bikes added 45 more minutes to the show, so we've almost got two shows out of this. So Time flies. I hope the, I hope listeners that you enjoyed it and that you're still here. We just have to tease them. I, and, and I, you can Sean. You can never have too long of a show as long as the topic stayed interesting. So uh, Thank again, you, we, we appreciate you. And uh, maybe we look forward to you. I look forward to talking to you in the future and maybe having you back as a guest if we didn't take too much of your time today. So I'm out of here for, for tonight. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Randy. Thank you. Oh, appreciate and, it, and don't forget to look up Randy's uh, new YouTube channel. Is that, uh, do you know what the address is or the name? Randy Post. 
YouTube channel ready, folks. Simple enough. He Don't labels everything that. So, well, we look forward to talking to you again. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Thanks. <a lot>. <laughs> John's <laughs> forgotten how to talk. Yeah. It's a good thing we do a podcast, and you know, it's you, you're not relied on to talk all the time. It's that's perfect, John. <laughs>